they were not going to open the case. They were like, whatever to us, pretty much. They were not opening the case. We had to go up there and do the legwork and show all the safety shit that we knew went down. Because you know your family, like, you know who you're dealing with. Like, I know my niece. Like, I raised her. Well, yeah, be, oh, well, I'm sure. Do you know the whole, does she know the whole story? Oh. Oh, and the fact that, okay, she was in a, uh, so, wow, I thought she needed to say, I thought I was just putting her in. I'm Jackie O'Brien, and this is Buried in Snow, an investigation into the unsolved murder of Denise Hart, a beautiful, loved 24-year-old mother whose story, at least the whole story, has gone unreported until now. When she went missing, Denise was staying in Sudbury, a tiny rural town in central Vermont. I'd never heard of Sudbury before looking into this case, so a few months ago, my sister and I drove down to check it out. We blinked and passed the center of town, but pulled off the road on Route 30. Weathered barns tilted unnaturally, refusing to be swept away. Fields seemingly stretched all the way to the horizon in each direction, empty and silent, but for a small group of bulls, some black, some white, who all lifted their heads and stared us down as if to ask, why did you come here? In my head, I was asking Denise the same question. I mean, it's beautiful, but there didn't seem to be much to do, even for Vermont standards. Why was she coming up here from Hartford, Connecticut so frequently? If she was really close friends with the people who lived up here, I get it, doesn't matter where you are with good company. But the way her loved ones talked about them didn't make me think these were her best friends. I don't really know them. I never met the guy. So I know I know of him, but he's like, point of I've never seen him. Yeah, like she fucked them to stay at their house. I don't, I'm not quite sure when she met them. She didn't know them long. I don't know how they met, but I know that they was friends. I'm not sure how she met them. No, I don't know how, how she was. I don't know how all of this, I don't know how it happened. It wasn't until I spoke to Denise's uncle, Raymar Robinson, and his wife, Elizabeth, that things started to make a lot more sense. Oh, so the the, uh, the beginning of the story with that is she was up there to see him, her friend, which was a, let me put it, Frank. He was a fiend. He was a dope fiend, and she's so dope. And that, that was their relationship. I chose not to talk about Denise dealing drugs in the first episode, not to trick you or censor the truth, but because I wanted the foundation of this podcast to be her loved ones introducing us to who she was. And what she did to make money doesn't change that. It doesn't change how she was loved, make her any less of a great mother, or put any fault on her for being murdered. No matter what, it's a life, right? She's somebody's family member, she's somebody's daughter, maybe somebody's mother or sister. I think it's important to tell those stories. And a lot of the times you have to learn about their background, not that they're, they're bad people, we all, you know, sometimes get ourselves into some kind of trouble. Jesenia Pizarro was a criminology professor at the University of Arizona who studied victim lifestyles correlation with homicide clearance. There is a premise that hasn't actually been tested 
in, in the literature, but we kind of like allude to it as an area for future research. Could it be that it's the community that devalues certain individuals? Like if, if, if you know it's a drug dealer or somebody that you characterize as bad, you're less likely to stick your neck and risk your life or risk scrutiny for an individual like that versus if it's, if it's someone that you think was a good person like or somebody that didn't deserve it. There's an attitude in society perpetuated by the media that people who live what police sometimes call a high-risk lifestyle put themselves in the situation to be harmed and are partially to blame for their own victimization. That narrative needs to stop. It doesn't matter what you do, who you do it with, or what decisions you make. A life is a life and no one's deserves to be taken. When family members finally spoke to Rutland PD on January 29th, two days after Denise Hart's mom, Deidre Robinson, tried to report her missing, they didn't have much to tell them. She went to Vermont with friends. That's all that we knew. We didn't have anything to offer them. But they knew Denise, and they knew her not answering her phone meant something was seriously wrong. Day one, we expected a foul play, so... Every day was pretty much living hell. My sister was, of course, inconsolable. You know, she was just consumed with grief. Denise's aunt, Elizabeth Robinson, described the questions Rutland PD officers asked. Very basic, just what do we know? They're kind of like the same questions that you asked, but at the time we didn't know anything other than the fact that she had not called her mom to check on her son, which she did daily. We didn't know anything at that time. This matches Rutland PD's report, which said that Deidre told them, quote, her daughter would travel from Connecticut to Rutland weekly, and the last time she spoke with her daughter, she was with two subjects. In that report, it said RPD spoke to the friends Deidre identified and were, quote, provided limited information as to their relationship with Hart and their last contact with her. Whether Rutland PD knew or suspected drug involvement, I don't know. It wasn't mentioned in the report they passed on to me, but that doesn't really mean anything because we know that the report left out that they had Deidre call Hartford PD first, then wait two days for a report to be taken. Of course they don't have any record. It, it, it you know, I mean, we're not going to just make these things up. We're still missing a loved one. No. We're trying to find. And lying doesn't accomplish anything for us. So us making up stories, like I'm trying to jog my best memory. I'm not guessing here. I'm Referring to my wife, if she, her memory's a little sharper than mine. So, Ryan's not going to help us. We know that. So, they could, they could kill that noise. You know, that's not even, they know better. Nobody's that stupid. Rutland PD knew Denise drove three hours to the Sudbury area from Hartford, Connecticut Weekly. That she was staying with one of her friends and borrowed the other's car. But when they speak to the friends, they can't get any information on their relationship with her or why she was there. Listen. I'm clearly no cop, but is it not suspicious for the people who last saw her to hold back enough information that the officer makes a note of it? Is that not grounds to pry a little? Denise was originally staying in a hotel that weekend until one of the two friends Rutland PD talked to, Josh Prezot, invited her to stay at his place instead. He coaxed her out of the hotel to get to his house and told her everything was good. She got there, she didn't feel good. She called her brother immediately and said, I want to go home, come and get me. 
Mm. And he immediately started scrambling to get up there. So her brother, my nephew, got that call and uh, called us immediately and told us what he felt and thought. And we were like, damn, well, we couldn't get up there. There's no way we can get up there. I remember feeling the next day when we didn't hear back from her that, why didn't she call me? Because I would have fucking went, you know, I would have rented a helicopter or anything, whatever I had to do, you know, to get up there that night. Because she didn't feel, she had an uneasy feeling, she said. That night, January 25th, Denise posted her last Instagram, a picture of Josh's wood-burning stove. We posted that on Instagram, and that was the last thing we posted. And it was just something wrong about that. Once they knew Denise's relationship with the friend she was staying with, her family felt Josh had to have something to do with her disappearance. He knew that she was up there by herself. She's normally with a few people. He knew that she was up there by herself, and opportunity was for him to get rid of her, or whatever he needed, you know, whatever he did, and keep whatever. With no confidence that the police were trying their hardest to find Denise, her family was left waiting for the snowstorm to pass before they could do anything about it. It was a shitty storm. It was so bad that we couldn't get up there to her the night that we knew something was wrong. It was impassable through math. Nobody could get through math. That was the problem. As days went by and no new information came forward, the urgency to get up to Vermont and find answers themselves intensified. My sister called me in tears a couple days later, like, please get up there. And I was, I was like, I'm on my way. On Friday, January 30th, 2015, Raymar went up to Sudbury with one of Denise's brothers and her best friend, Keitha McLeggan. I didn't like it. I didn't like it up there. I didn't like it at all. How come? I don't know. It's just it made us. It made me feel like we um okay. It's not a lot of black people out there. So then, like yeah, when we're out. When we're out, we're constantly getting looked at. Like okay, what are you doing out here? You know, like <laughs> why did you come out here? Then like we when we bump heads with other black people, they're looking at us like, oh, what are you doing out here? Like why are you out here? Like. I, I, I was comfortable. I told Area NAACP founder Tabitha Moore about Keitha's experience. Yeah, and that's, I mean, when you talk about, yeah, what does racism look like in Vermont, that's what it looks like. Like, you automatically know that you're not welcome here. And what the reason is, you know, when you're feeling unsafe, it really matters less than getting things. But I can imagine that how difficult that was for the family, especially under the circumstances. You know, people know why, why they're there. You never see more than two black people together unless there's a reason around here. Either they're related or something's going on. Either they're having a party or, you know, there's a college visiting or, you know, so, yeah. We already know that Vermont is the second whitest state, but the majority of people of color who live here live in the most populous area, Chittenden County, which people joke is the closest you can get to Vermont without actually going there. Outside of Chittenden County, which holds the Queen City of Burlington, the population of every county in Vermont is at least 93% white. In more rural parts of the state, the lack of diversity can be extreme, with a handful of towns where the population is literally 100% white. Only 560 people live in Sudbury, and 98.9% of them are white. 
Once Denise's loved ones got up there, they hung up flyers around Sudbury and the neighboring town Brandon, where the hotel she was originally staying at is located. The whole time, Raymar was sending notes back to his wife Elizabeth, who was organizing all the information to send to police. They were out there just searching just wherever they thought, anywhere close to the hotel that she was at, the areas that she was known to go to. They were putting up flyers. They were talking to people as well. Um, he actually got to meet the person who we believe did it. Denise was originally going to stay at the Brandon Motor Lodge, but according to the motel's records, she checked out on Friday, January 23rd, the same day she left her mom's house in Connecticut. She said she was, like, real it out in the hotel, like it's just real spooky, kind of real airy to her. And I've been to the place and it is a bit dark on the dark side when I went up there. I actually stayed at the Brandon Motor Lodge for a night or two myself in the summer of 2015, six months after Denise was there. And it's pretty out there, definitely has that secluded Vermont vibe. The motel's website says it sits on 16 acres of open fields with a wooded nature trail and mountain views. It's near the Long Trail, and that's why I was staying there. But besides that, there really isn't much around. We'll hear from Josh in a future episode, but Denise told her family that he invited her to stay at his family's house in Sudbury because his dad was out of town. He insisted that she came there, so she finally gave in and went to stay there. When the family got to Vermont, they went to Josh's to check out his place and his story. Pretty much they, you know, searched the back of his house and went through his house. The guy allowed him to do that. That guy there was um, totally dishonest. His eyes were starting all over the place when I talked to him. He gave him a bad vibe. He knew absolutely knew something. Trying to be over helpful, over mindful, over welcoming. Like, you guys uh, need a place to stay. And, uh, you know, it's just all types of stuff. His house was on a big plot of land and they searched it all. I combed the wood all in the back of Joshua's house. I, you know, all types. I was on MapQuest, the whole setup, all the land, the father taken off, you know, taken off like immediately after. I think, you know, that they all had something to do with this. They checked everywhere inside the house, looking for Denise's things. Josh showed them the room that Denise was staying in. When I got there, he said, this is how she left it. Raymar saw all the stuff left behind when she supposedly went out to meet someone who owed her money. It didn't add up. He remembers seeing her piece, still sitting in the ashtray on the bedside table. In his story, what he told me that, you know, he'd seen her go out the house and slippers in a blizzard in a car. So, yeah, it was a blizzard that night. It was a blizzard. There's no way this was possible. That right there, it was just a little too far-fetched. But he's telling us that she left in slippers, no sneakers, no sneakers, all her, all her cash, all her, everything on her. She left, but her weed was left behind. But she took all her cash, everything, not her sneakers, slippers, all this cash, all this other stuff. And she carried a, quite a substantial amount of money with her. So, you know, he's saying that she took all this stuff and left her weed and her sneakers behind. And I just can't believe that. I'm from the hood, and this is my niece, and we would never do that. One thing is pretty much like, you know, we're not going to leave our sneakers and our weed. No way. There were storms back to back up there. So there's no way she's going to leave that house like this. 
I can't imagine anybody doing this. In a, a, a two-wheel drive vehicle, wasn't it? A, 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 the car was like a – I forgot the car, but it was a piece of crap car. It was like There's a no 2001 Pontiac Grand Am. A Pontiac. That's exactly the car. Now, I know this car is a piece of crap. Underpowered all types of ways, and I can't imagine having the best tires or being in the best condition because it was an older version. Just everything this guy was telling me was just so shifty. I was like, dude, none of this stuff makes sense. And it, it, he, we were waiting for some other guy that can corroborate stories that never showed up. He had somebody that could back his words on this and that, his whereabouts, and that it's a true story. We never seen the other guy. We never, the other guy never showed up. We were up there for two or three days, two days. Never met the other guy. After meeting Josh in person, Raymar was sure he had something to hide. He knew about it. He was, he's a co-conspirator in my eyes. I met the guy and I know a criminal when I see a criminal. That guy is a criminal. That guy got something to hide, a deep secret, you know, and it has to do with my niece. After meeting Josh, they asked people around town what they knew about him. We talked to a lot of people up there. And everybody we talked to, there was, I remember going in a laundromat out there, you know, putting flyers up asking people. And they just, they just, they had a lot to say about him and his one friend that he's always with. I forgot the guy's name. They had a lot to say about him. When we told them what happened, they just knew that these guys did it. They said these fucking guys, they, everybody we talked to just knew it. No matter, and we talked to a lot of people. We talked to people, we, we met all types of people that day. We met some of the best people out there and some of the worst. We were cursed at, called all types of shit, get away from the store. We had signs ripped down, all mm. types of shit. We went through it, you know? And I remember being at our absolute lowest point. We were in a pizza shop about to eat. And this lady came in and we started talking to her and she was some big shot, I guess. Or, no, her husband was like a chief or something out there, or police or something. And she said, I got your back after we told the story. She said, something, somebody's going to listen to you. And after that, they made it official and made it a report. They made an investigation. When they left Vermont, Elizabeth took the notes Raymar had been sending her and wrote an email to Rutland PD detectives with everything they knew. I used an email to um, one of the detectives um, outlining a great amount of detail, including names, specific names of the people, um, business that they were associated with, what they were driving. Elizabeth forwarded me the email. It included information on everyone they knew Denise interacted with's name and phone number. Josh, the guy she borrowed a car from, Nick, who picked her up from the hotel in the Pontiac around 4 a.m., according to the hotel clerk other people Denise sold to, and details about their relationship, like a guy named Nathan, who only met with Denise at night, and a weed dealer named Ed, who owed her $1,000. I sent them everything that we had. So like When I think back, like I, I don't know what exactly did they do, because when they did uh, decide to get involved and investigate, they didn't come back with any more findings than we already had. The date of the email matches up with Rutland PD's timeline. At the end of the report, it says Elizabeth's email prompted them to contact Vermont State Police, who opened an official investigation on January 31st, 2015, five days after Denise disappeared. 
In their report, Rutland PD made it seem like they only knew Denise's case was connected to Sudbury and not Rutland once Elizabeth sent the email on January 31st. But it also said they already talked to Josh, who lives in Sudbury and who they knew Denise was staying with from her mom. They weren't going to start the investigation, but we just made a lot of noise up there. And it was two days that they had no choice but to. If her family hadn't gone up to Vermont that weekend, hadn't sent that email, when would Vermont State Police have taken over? When they seen how much information we were giving to them, because we were giving everything that they have, pretty much we gave to them. And I think that's when they decided, uh, okay, let's assign somebody because this is just way too much detail. You know, like they had to do something. But initially, when we went, when we uh, contacted them, they weren't doing anything other than what they said, like following leads and talking to people, but nothing. Once the case was open, the first place Vermont State Police went was to Josh's house. On the next episode, we'll hear from Vermont State Police detectives on Denise's case about their initial investigation. If you know anything about the disappearance and murder of Denise Hart, please contact Vermont State Police. This has been episode two of Buried in Snow. The show is hosted, written, and produced by me, Jackie O'Brien with music by Joseph McDade. If you like the show, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to stay up to date on weekly episodes. If you can, please rate and review. It'll help the podcast grow and Denise's story be spread. You can follow at Buried in Snow Pod on Instagram and Twitter and reach me at buriedinsnowpod at gmail.com. <laughs>